0: This is TV8 My Dinner, a podcast about entertainment issues, brought to you by DarkCrazy.com.
1: Previously, on TV8 My Dinner, you alert the media. I launch the gas. You refuse payment. I launch the gas. Hey, you mother! One teaspoon of this shit detonated in the atmosphere will kill every living organism in an eight-block radius get the point. Me and my boys are cocked, locked, and ready to rock. I have choked on these lies my entire career. Well, here and now, the lies stop.
0: Major Anderson, if you have any concern for the lives of your men, you will order them to safety their weapons and
1: place them on the deck. This is not happening. Sir, we know why you're out here. God knows I agree with you. But like you, I swore to defend this country against all enemies, foreign, sir, and domestic. General, we've spilled the same blood in the same mud, and you know goddamn well I can't give that order. We're dead! We're dead! Your
0: unit is covered from an elevated position, Commander. I'm not gonna ask you again.
1: Don't do anything stupid. No one has to die here. You men following the General, you're under oath as United States Marines! Have you forgotten that? We all have shipmates we remember. Some of them were shit on and pissed on by the Pentagon. But that doesn't give you the right to mutiny! You call it what you want! You're down there! We're up here! You walked into the wrong goddamn room, Commander. Tell your men to stand down. I will not give that order! Tell them to stand down! I cannot give that order!
2: Your best? Losers whine about their best. Winners go home and f- the prom queen.
1: Carla was the prom queen. Really? Yeah. Damn it! This sucks!
2: Where's that son of a bitch now? I'm gonna hunt him down! That motherfucker ain't safe nowhere!
1: I'm not a soldier, Major. The day we took hostages, we became mercenaries. And mercenaries get paid. I want my fucking money! Sergeant Crisp, secure the general. I'm relieving you of command, sir. I'll have that sidearm, sir. You mean this sidearm? I'm only borrowing your Humvee. status is, they're dead they're dead
3: maybe we got off on the wrong foot here do you like the elton john song rocket
1: man i don't like soft ash
3: i only ask because it's you you're the rocket man yeah. Time. You're listening to TV Ate My Dinner. My name is Sean, and I'm sitting here with Brooks and Greg.
0: Hey everybody. What's up? How's it going?
3: Settle down, America.
0: Do you still <laughs> remember the nineties? I know it's been a long time since our last reminiscence.
3: Remember last week when we talked about the nineties?
0: Well we're gonna continue. It's it's really a decade that can be summed up in two episodes, I think it could be summed up in 10 years
3: yeah it took 10 years to do takes two hours to talk <laughs> yeah. about tops
0: yeah and we're, and we're talking about other things too so
2: but anyway uh, you probably just heard our intro which uh you know it
0: was yeah I guess finally can you in. guess which movie right. that's from yeah right that could be our a trivia that question that
3: really happened to us <laughs> yeah don't you wish you'd seen that episode Yet, For those of you that completely. didn't hear
0: us last week. Yeah, that, that that's what it was about. Yeah. Hey, remember
2: that time when that mad general, you know, went nuts with that VX gas and we had to go save, you know, San
0: Francisco?
3: Do you
2: you oh, remember I that? Remember Don't that. you guys?
3: That was good my times. introduction to field work.
0: <laughs> Speaking of machine guns, I saw that movie Hitman finally. And uh it, it was pretty good. I was I was surprised. It was a lot more serious than I thought it was going to be. A lot more I- involved, I guess, plot wise. Very very reminiscent of the Bourne movies, though. Really? Oh yeah. I, I almost think to the that's point good. where he's like a he's a super assassin, and then he goes out on a job and finds out that he's being set up by his own organization. So he has to go on the lam, and he hooks up with this girl and. She's kind of a Euro trash prostitute kind of girl, and nice.
3: she's all She's over also
0: wanted, and nice. you know they're trying to kill her because she's a witness to this thing. And it, yeah, it's it's very reminiscent because then he goes after the organization, of course, trying to figure out why they're setting him up. And they just walk around in broad daylight. No one no- seems to notice the UPC symbol, bra, you know, tattooed on the back of this guy's head. He's in restaurants and he's walking around. I and think they're think looking I for this guy, that. and that's not get that's not a giveaway. It's like look for the guy with the UPC symbol the back of his hand. if
3: you know. But I think I kind of believe those guys walking around, and no one thinks anything about it. In today's <laughs> world, like here's another weirdo. I guess yeah,
2: so. Well, yeah, I wouldn't think anything about a guy with a barcode tattoo on the back of his neck. Mm-hmm. I mean,
3: like, true story. The other day, I was I was downtown. We were hanging out, and we met a guy who's like, "Call me Bacon." And then we're like, Okay, whatever and and to prove that I guess he just wasn't funning with us, he rolls up his sleeve and like shows us like his entire forearm his has a tattoo of a strip of bacon. Like the whole Yikes. way down. And it looked like like raw because it was like one solid strip. So he wasn't Weird. messing around. It's like I don't say that to impress people. My name's Bacon <laughs> Alright? <laughs> just to let you know, just to build a line of credit with you nice folks. I didn't just make that up because I'm drunk. My name yeah. is Bacon.
2: I mean, is he proud of the fact that his name is Bacon? Does mama name him Bacon, or he I'll just never know that because the something?
3: only reason to open a conversation with like that, like that, is because you're dying for someone to ask why. Don't give him the satisfaction. Just like nice to meet you, Bacon, and walk away. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what happens. <laughs> Man, I saw the Forbidden Kingdom this this weekend. That Jackie oh, Chan cool. movie. Oh, cool. Yeah.
0: Oh, is it good? No, not cool. Well,
3: it's. I would recommend it as being entertaining. It certainly wasn't boring, but it wasn't what it sold itself to be, and it made me mad from the get-go. Because oh. I always get mad at movies that advertise as the opposite of what they are or something other, because then that makes me think, well, you knew what people wanted to see, so what's with all the jerking around with all this stupid story stuff? because it's not they advertise it like you know Jet Li and Jackie Chan are like these these old adversaries who get together to stop this evil emperor and you're like oh that sounds pretty cool Jet Li and Jackie Chan's worth the trip either way but then as soon as the movie opens it's like some like white kid in modern day America and you're like oh no and it's like really into kung fu movies like oh this is already off to a bad start it's like that kid from Sky High who's become like the poor man's laboof Every time I see a movie where they need some starry-eyed kid who doesn't look know, like doesn't know what he's doing, it's this kid now because Labouf has gotten too expensive because he's hooked up with St- Spielberg. So this kid, like I don't know, finds an ancient staff in a—it's like Gremlins. He like finds an ancient staff in like an old Chinese pawn shop, and then he has to take it back to its rightful owner. But then thugs chase him, and he falls off a roof and ends up. And transported to some magical kingdom where he's like this wow. prophesied seeker and he has to hook up with Jackie Chan like why this why the complexity of this story which is stupid and trite anyway and it's been done a million times why didn't you just set the movie you had an interesting setup in the first place with like the, the mythology of this forbidden kingdom start there and then just throw Jackie Chan and Jet Li in the mix and, and let it happen
0: are we yeah, so xenophobic as Westerners that, that if weird. we don't see
3: some white kid in a Kung Fu movie, then we're not down with it at all?
0: I never I mean, would have guessed that's almost like a never-ending story or something It weird.
3: totally is. And the fact that they don't advertise on that at all shows that they watch that movie going, God, this is dumb. Like, this guy, High kid, you don't even know he's in the movie till you get yeah. there.
2: Yeah, really. The, the previews make it look like a crouching tiger. Yeah, and, now, it, and
3: that's what it like, seems to be. And you're like, this is going to be pretty cool. Then it tries to be like Narnia or something. I don't know what's going on with that.
0: Yeah, maybe they're just trying to capture every possible audience. There's a uh, romantic comedy element to.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well he and Sparrow had some moments. Sparrow. A lot of hot Chinese chicks in that movie.
0: Well, there you go. You've sold me.
3: Well man, that's what it makes me mad. It's like you've got all this. You know. Why? Why put cheese on top? (laughs) It's like you're making like this gourmet meal, and then you're putting like American cheese slices on the top. Literally, like, are we so afraid to see a a movie of all Chinese people? I don't think so. (laughs) I saw the Aliens versus Predator movie this weekend.
0: Okay, what is this about now? This is a new one. Yeah. This is the one where they end up on Earth, right?
3: This is the second one where they're on Earth, because they were on the first one as well.
0: I haven't Mm -hmm. seen anything advertising this at all. I don't even know what this is.
3: It kind of came and went. I knew it was out around Christmas time, but it it didn't look that good. It didn't advertise that hard, and then someone told me it was dumped. And I was like, well, that's yeah. bad. That's a trifecta of waiting for video.
2: Like on the first movie, they were in Antarctica right? yeah, or it, something like that. It was too and complicated.
3: The, they were digging for some ancient pyramid that happened to be full of aliens and predators. He's like, whoa, guys, that's <laughs> some rough luck, my friend. I mean, you could have found anything and it would have been better than this. If you just drilled till you hit hot lava, it would have been better.
2: But now they're in a populated area. Well, what happens is is it is kind of,
3: and it's sort of impressive in that it is sort of a direct sequel to Alien vs. Predator because, you know, in the, the last one, the kind of mug to the audience at the very end is that this thing pops out and it's like a half predator, half alien thing. And that's where this one takes up.
0: I don't don't remember that. That's funny.
3: Yeah. I'm not even, I'm not sure it was cool at all.
2: The the movie I always wanted to see, and I'm I'm not talking about alien versus predator movie, but an alien movie is the one where they get to earth and these, and the aliens get turned loose in a populated yeah. area. Yeah. This
3: one tried hard to be that cuz it, it it had all these elements that were cool that that you thought, "Man, this is like this seems like all the stuff that I would have thought was would be cool in a movie." Because that's the first thing what happens is right after the, the predators who are taking away these, you know, the dead their dead predator friend or whatever. Obviously, this this hybrid thing pops out of its chest and then goes nuts and starts killing everybody instantly they start shooting their laser cannons at it and of course like breach their own hole and like so their ship crashes not only with the hybrid awful thing there but they just happen to have jars and jars of those little face huggers so they're just <laughs> let out in northern california somewhere and then yeah that's just a recipe for badness
0: is this like current times i yeah. guess
3: it's modern, just like I said. It follows almost immediately the the first Alien versus Predator.
2: Well, see, I think they missed the opportunity to make a really good movie, like in the Sigourney Weaver storyline, where you know they could have had the aliens go to Earth, and I mean it becomes this huge catacly- cataclysmic thing, you know, where the uh, where the aliens are kind of winning, and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. I think it would be a you know a really neat story. It would have
3: been more interesting. Because even in this, they try because the aliens do take over like the whole town, and it becomes almost a zombie kind of story, which I think would be cool where you know they have to fight for survival because aliens are all over the town, you know, but I don't know, it just didn't really come together. Some of the ideas were really neat, but I never cared what was going on, and that's not a sign of a good movie. I remember watching Alien and Aliens, and I remember watching you know Predator and you cared what was going on. Like the characters were interesting to you. And you cared whether or not they lived or died. <laughs> and that never happens in movies yeah. at all. The, the problem is not that they're getting people making aliens and Predator movies that don't have any respect for the franchises. It's the opposite. You get these nerds that want to make the ultimate alien and Predator movie and they spend all their time on these elaborate fight sequences. There are awesome fight sequences between the aliens and the predator. It never comes together in a way that you you care because all the human characters who keep getting they keep cutting back to are boring and stupid and it's not like and they're not really poorly written you just don't care and it seems like a waste I can see where they're trying so hard to make good alien and predator movies even though they, twice now they really haven't hit it but I think it's time for aliens versus predator versus hash and be done with it.
2: Yeah, I <laughs> think. Hey, I'd pay. For, I'd pay to see that. Well, let's one. stop let's trying see. to reinvent
3: the wheel here. Let's stop trying to be serious. I think it's time we brought Jason and Freddy into this conflict.
0: No, I'm down with that. <laughs> Ash, I'm afraid, might be a little too old it's for this. Big old, just a big old slug fan.
2: Well,
3: unfortunately, although that might be fun to see an older Ash <laughs> who's ready for. I mean, if Indiana Jones can come back, Ash has got to have some juice left. Well, in I guess him. that's true. Well, I could
2: definitely make that movie. You know, he he he. Uh, He's like the manager of S-Mart now,
0: and uh,
3: I'm retired. You know, and then, and fighting aliens—that'd uh, be a whole new ship thing for crashes Ash. Crashes into
0: the yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: God knows there. what Ash would do to <laughs> himself while fighting aliens. He's always mutilating himself fighting zombies. Ash could bring a lot of innovations <laughs> to the the alien versus predator thing. And just the first time no. he realizes that their blood is acid would be a horrible moment for Ash. <laughs> That's probably where he'd lose another part.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> And right not to mention, I mean, think of the possibility of zombie predators and zombie
3: aliens. Zombie predator really is the way to go. Now you're thinking, why don't they ever do that? I guess because it's dumb. But <laughs> <an> alien <laughs> zombies would be cool. Remember Alien Dead? Do you remember that movie?
0: Hmm. No.
3: Not there was really. a, like some kind of like possum disease or something that the Indians called pasote. <laughs> just like, like, like what an awesome moment of terrible writing! Like they just didn't care. <laughs> the Indians used to call it pasote,
2: pasote. Oh, Singal.
3: But that was the moment that made you realize the movie was worth watching when the guys started <laughs> talking about pasote. And Night of the Creeps did sort of a Night of the Creeps showed that you could do, you know, alien zombies and slither. You know, took that from that movie.
0: Yeah. Slither was awesome.
3: And that was totally Night of the Creep. Slither took all these awesome ideas from a lot of old, cheesy movies.
0: Maybe you should just put Nathan Fillion in the, the next Predator movie.
3: Oh, well, now you talking. You know, you are talking, because you know what that would do? It would put somebody in one of these movies that people gave a crap about. You would care if Nathan Fillion was in that movie. You'd want him to live. What yeah. these movies need, and we, we joke about Ash, but these movies need an Ash. Because when you have an Ash, you actually have a hero that you know does that rare thing where they overshadow the creature. And you want them to live because <laughs> you identify with them. You can't do Evil Dead without Ash. That's one of the only horror series ever where the character, the main hero, actually is more important than the villains. Where they were almost went on to make Evil Dead movies that didn't even have zombies in them. They were just going to keep making Ash movies. Their Evil Dead 4 wasn't even going to be an Evil Dead 4. He, it was going to be in the future, and he was going to be fighting robots. That was the concept. The original ending had Ash not going back to his present time, but accidentally drinking too many drops of the juice to make him sleep, and he woke up in like this post-apocalyptic future, where it <laughs> would have been where the world had been taken over by robots. So what's
0: the deal with their remaking Evil Dead
3: yeah, I've heard that as well.
0: But with, I yeah, guess, I a whole new crew, a whole new everything. I just don't
3: see how you can do it. Like, I know I'm a Bruce Campbell purist, but unless you're going to bring in Nathan Fillion, who is Bruce Campbell's heir apparent, then forget it. <laughs> the only thing I'll be willing to accept is Nathan Fillion. That would be very cool.
2: Nathan Fillion is Bruce Campbell's heir apparent. He's, he's Harrison Ford's heir
3: apparent. People don't know how much <laughs> we're into Nathan Fillion that much because sometimes we just start talking about Nathan Fillion and it gets cut off of an episode because it's an aside that doesn't matter. But I really do. I mean, I'm, I'm so with Nathan Fillion. Like, if whatever they put him in, I'm happy. But I want to see something that brings out his, you know, his fillion the way it needs to be. Like lots of actors work, but this guy was made to be a leading man. And it's just time someone puts him there in something mainstream enough that people realize it. And if the mainstream's never going to realize it, then we need to find those Bruce Campbell like roles to put him into. To recap, you can redo <laughs> Evil Dead if you put Nathan Philly in it or if you have to make a han solo tv show with him as han Solo, or
0: throw him in the next predator maybe this is gold yeah this is gold we're giving
2: yeah, you hollywood cracking
3: i'm so sick of just wasting my awesome ideas on you <laughs> get cracking phillian some there's somebody somebody connected to phillian has to listen to this show aren't we tapped into that market get cracking get with Get with your peeps. You
0: could look at uh, take care of. I this. guess you could look at some of the '90s movies that we've been talking about in the last episode. Oh yeah, '90s movies as an example of how to make things good, right?
2: yeah uh, sure.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the '90s did have a lot of good movies, and we'll talk about them. But I think what I like about Philly and what we're talking about here is we're resurrecting that sort of, you know, that
1: <laughs> screw that crap. We're going to talk about Philly and the rest of the show. The
3: '90s will always be there. <laughs> this could be it. I don't care. We could talk about Fillion for the rest of the episode. He may be out there not knowing how awesome he is because he only has a million Firefly fans. I'm sure he
0: him. knows how awesome he is.
2: I don't think Hollywood understands how awesome he is. So they, don't, they don't realize I'm not that, he's talking a, that about he really serenity, has what it takes. Yeah,
3: I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I think he's got the real chops. Like I would love to see him take on a Bruce Campbell sort of career and get to see him and all that. But I think Fillion's got what it takes to be a, another Harrison Ford. And I don't understand if they can still make Indiana Jones movies with Harrison Ford, why people aren't looking around for the next Harrison Ford? You know, why aren't they finding guys like Fillion? Because you know, Harrison Ford started out doing this sci-fi kind of stuff and all that, and he broke the mold.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, Star Wars. Yeah, he did. He did <laughs> Star Wars. Well, it. Star
3: Wars wasn't Star Wars back then. It was just another sci-fi movie to people until you know it popped. And even then, as an actor, like everybody else in Star Wars didn't get legitimacy just for being in it. You know, you gotta earn your chops outside of it. Sometimes being in something that huge can, you know, almost always actually ruins your career. Harrison Ford broke the mold. He got the chance to be in Indiana Jones, another major franchise, and then he was in a lot of good movies. You know, Blade Runner is a great movie. Harrison Ford branched out and did a lot of awesome stuff. I don't see why... You know, even though it it doesn't have the mainstream popularity, I don't see why, you know, Fillion being in stuff like Firefly and then Serenity couldn't be his springboard into a mainstream role. Why doesn't that get people? I mean, obviously it doesn't make him bankable because it didn't make money, but surely somebody should watch these things and go, "This guy's got talent." Yeah, they're looking at that, and they're not. They can't tell the difference between him and Brian Gosling. Who's Brian Gosling? I mean, nothing against Ryan. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, I like Who Ryan Gosling. That? I think he's a good actor, but he's in a bunch of stuff that I, I don't think is that good. But people are always, you know, he's like some kind of like poor man's canoe. <laughs> poor man's canoe sounds like something real, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds like something you'd find at the Marine store. Yeah. <laughs> is that them inflatable kayaks? All righty. <laughs> that are designed for crazy people, in my opinion.
2: Well, speaking of canoes and Swayzes and you know guys like that, let's let's talk about our '90s movies. Let's let's, let's do try to knock this out.
3: Tonight. Forget it, you're all asleep, <laughs> America. Fine, Sling Blade, 1996. Does that blow your hair back? <laughs>
2: Does that blow your mind?
3: You know what I like about it's Sling Blade I'm is blown, I will America. talk about Sling Blade because Sling Blade was the movie that that got everybody to notice Billy Bob Thornton. And I always loved Billy Bob Thornton ever since, you know, Dead Man came out. Yeah. Because you'll see him play all these these great, cool characters like in Tombstone. But I remember the scene
1: he did in Dead Man with Iggy Pop. That's
0: the best part of the movie by far.
1: Tonight we're reminded of the evil emperor Nero Augustus. He was the scourge of all the Christians. What's a scourge? It's, it's like when something real bad happens... Like when everybody gets killed and you can't do anything about it. Like a swarm of locusts. For the entertainment of his guests, Nero would illuminate his whole garden with bodies of live Christians covered in burning oil, strung up on flaming crosses, crucified. Well, that's terrible. It's horrible. Terrible is what it is. You know, I just I can't drink whiskey like I used to could. My old belly, it just ain't no count. There's possum in these beans and spices, too. I tried hard. Well, Sally, I don't give a pig's ass what anybody says. I still say you make a hell of a pot of beans. Now, why don't you say it's a Grace out of the Good book, would you? Thank you, Big Jordan. I'd be delighted to do that. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. And I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and the wild beasts of the earth. Amen. 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 What's a Philistine? Well, it's just a real dirty person.
3: Oh, yeah. That is the best part. Like, I love that Man. It's one of my favorite movies, but it that's one of the scenes that sometimes the movie you know being a jarmusch film it can start to get a little arty and a little long in like the visuals which are awesome you know it's a beautiful movie but every now and then jarmusch is really good at bringing you back with a really entertaining moment in the movie that makes it a fun movie to watch as well as being very artistic and very good and that's one of the moments where Johnny Depp runs into them. It's just like these crazy, you know, wilderness people. Between that movie and the character he played in Tombstone, that's one of the great beatdown scenes in a movie is when Kurt Russell just completely emasculates Billy Bob Thornton in Tombstone. Oh yeah, Makes, so makes you want to like- be Kurt Russell and Wyatt Earp and just anybody with a mustache almost. Yeah. <laughs> what makes Sling Blade cool is that he lost some weight and he got into the character and you really can't recognize him in that role so it's a, a brilliant role for him and also it came from a good I kind of got him mad because I think he won the Oscar for best ab- adapted screenplay for that movie but he only adapted it from a short film that he also yeah, wrote that so that seems, seems like got silly. a little, got, got a little cheated there you're not adapting your own work that was an expanded script he just took a short and expanded into a feature that's not an adaptation what's wrong with you?
0: Slingblade is uh, I think notable for Well, for a number of reasons, but mostly from our perspective as Southerners, because it's one of the only movies I can think of that has portrayed the South in any kind of realistic way, especially in terms of accents. All of the accents in that movie uh-huh. are very believable. And even believable. the negative
3: aspects of the South, yeah. too. They're not yeah. caricatures, though. They're, they're the kind of redneck trailer park people you'd run into, but they're not caricature. They're, you've met people like Dwight Yoakam in yeah. that movie. This is beautifully Southern you'd never argue it's not it's not the the poor depiction of, of Southerners it's, no, it's, it's how it's off Southern they are how wrong is,
2: they. is what it is it's like you know he's that character it's, I've yeah. seen it a thousand times and, and, and always it, in
3: like a gangly little guy like that yeah that's what makes it so funny everyone's afraid of him and he's a guy like any one of us could just smack him but it's because they're afraid of him not because they don't think they could take him in a fight they're afraid of him because they think they'd beat him up and then he'd come back and shoot him yeah Because that's real. You meet guys like that, like real redneck guys. Those are the guys that end up in jail because they stab the guy for no reason. That's
0: like the only movie I can think of that if you want to know if you're not from the South, if you're from the Northeast or wherever, and you want to know what the South looks and sounds like, don't watch The Gift (laughs) Gift, or don't watch. uh, (laughs) Don't
3: watch friggin' Gone with the Wind. I'll break a bottle over your face if you watch Gone with the Wind. Yeah.
0: Well, what's the Savannah movie I'm trying to think of? The midnight in the garden of good and evil do not watch that
2: and for god's sake don't watch my cousin vinny oh yeah
3: (laughs) yeah even though we let that slide because that's supposed to be alabama (laughs) here in georgia we don't mind
0: sling blade man it it still
2: offends me man it's like every southerner in that movie is retarded (laughs) well and (laughs) the
3: other thing that really bothers me is they all talk like southern gentlemen like like these anti-billum
0: i do declare yeah. I
3: know. Who talks like that? No one.
0: You, you know, it is kind of
2: funny. I, very rarely have I heard somebody with that kind of accent. There there are a few still. But. Sure.
3: It came from somewhere, but that's not a typical southern accent. In fact, that's the kind of accent that probably gets you made fun of a little in the south. Mm-hmm. And certainly, get your ass beat. <laughs> I'll tell you that right
0: Deservedly now. Deservedly so.
3: Well, that's what makes it kind of sad when Billy Bob Thornton also wrote The Gift, but when they came around and made The Gift, that movie was terrible and and completely everything wrong with the South. I don't know if that's yeah, Sam Raimi's fault. all the bad fault. accents,
0: man. It's the yeah. accents.
3: That, I think it depends on how creatively I, – I just can't imagine that Billy Bob was that creatively involved with the production of the film of The Gift because it was such a joke to Southerners. And it really is a good rule. If you want to know about the, the South, don't watch any movie shot in Savannah. There's a lot of yeah. – like I like The Legend of Bagger Vance and all that. I think that's a great movie, but that's not a good movie about the South either because they're all these sort of classical southern gentleman kind of movies like these mythic southern stories of ridiculous accents although in Bagger Vance they weren't so bad I think Matt Damon is actually very good at doing accents in fact he, he does a pretty good southern accent in movies and you don't see a lot of non-southerners who do but he's an exception because I think he's just an exceptional actor speaking of which actually my 1997 movie is Goodwill Hunting well, there you go. So they, yeah, you like that little, you like what I did there? That like nice little segue, almost like we had a structure, a little stream of consciousness that brought us back around again to the topic.
2: That one's probably, probably the most universally accepted. Well, it is universally accepted. It won best screenplay that year, right? So
3: yeah, and and deservedly so. I get mad at those guys that they don't write anymore. Especially Affleck. It's like stick to something, Affleck, because you haven't really made a good showing in the acting lately.
2: Well, no, he did do. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw Hollywoodland, but that uh, movie was actually pretty. Easy.
3: I did see it, and I did like it. I, and he was a good pick for that because he is a good actor, and but he does have that sort of over the top Hollywood kind of air about him. Mm-hmm. So it made him a good pick for playing, you know. Well, also George Reeves,
2: his off screen life, you know, probably you know lent itself to, to him being right for that character because he does. Well, I mean he has played those not not a superhero role quite, but the, definitely the action hero kind of thing.
3: Yeah, when you think of his total his Hollywood persona versus, you know, his more artistic side. Right. So And I, I think he got a little because of, you know, his offset shenanigans with his romantic life and some of the other movies he made that aren't so great, I think he got a little critically snubbed on that movie. Yeah, I do too. Because that movie was good and it was a good performance by him. I think Affleck, because he's, you know, he's such a cheesehead about certain things, he gets snubbed more often than he should. But it's his fault because he's got a lot of talent and he doesn't always pick good projects.
2: I think he'll be back, though. I mean, he's he's eventually going to either direct or, or start starring in some movies. He does direct. This, here's
3: and, another sad thing. That Gone Baby yeah. Gone was his directorial debut, and they didn't even advertise on him. That's why I think that, that, that he has a road to hoe because... You know, when they advertised "Gone Baby Gone," they were like, you know, from the creator of Goodwill Hunting. I'm like, who from Goodwill Hunting did that? It's like Ben Affleck. It's like are you telling me your name yeah. is is you know is anathema?
0: Well, I guess most people don't associate him with well, directing. You know, that, so that like, might
2: have been his choice. You know, he 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 might not want he might not want to have wanted the movie to stand on, you know, Ben Affleck
3: well one way or another if it's a good movie then you want Ben Affleck's name associated with it cuz you want people to know you did a good movie and if you're you believe that your name can stand to help people, you know, put people in the seats then you do it. That's how the that's how the whole world works. It's Not an art film. You know, it's not an indie. You want it's got Morgan Freeman in it for God's sake. You want you want to sell tickets. So I think that movie may turn out to be a good movie and he may get the snub on that one also. But he needs to maybe lay low a little bit and work on making good movies. It's like he should probably run all the scripts past Damon before he makes a choice. Oh, Damon yeah. Damon's got an eagle eye for a script. He, I think has a third eye for a script. like I don't know not even necessarily that they're hits. He just knows, yeah, good movie. <laughs> he knows it when he sees it. Good movie. what part do you even want to know what part we want you for? Don't care. I'll do it. Good movie. That's what makes him a great actor.
0: Yeah, he did do
2: Dogma. So. Uh, he did Dogma because he's friends with Kevin because Smith. He well, was doing,
3: that just shows how cool he is. Because yeah. he'll do a Dogma because his friends want him to. <laughs> you know, that just shows that he's awesome. Because he'll read a script like that and go, whatever.
0: <laughs> Matt Damon. Because
3: a lot of people don't know this, but Kevin Smith was pretty instrumental in getting... Goodwill Hunting made.
2: I didn't know that, really?
3: Now, a lot of people don't know that. If you watch Goodwill Will Hunting, you, Kevin Smith is actually credited as, as a co-executive producer, even though he had nothing to do with making the movie. But what he did was help to broker the deal with Miramax, because that movie did sell at first, I want to say, to Castle Rock. And it languished there and went through a lot of false starts where they didn't get really good directors. And finally, Kevin Smith helped you know them get a meeting where Miramax picked up the movie and they ended up getting Gus Van Sant. They made it a great movie. So I know that I pick on Kevin Smith, but he's done a lot of good stuff and he's a good guy. And and the reason he gets the kind of help that he does on movies from people like Affleck and Damon is because he looks out for his friends, and that's admirable. In Hollywood, that's really admirable.
2: Well, I guess that does make sense. I didn't really think about it, but um, you know, Affleck was in Kevin Smith's movies before he was famous you know Well, Smith helped make Affleck
3: famous like Affleck had been around before that but it was Kevin Smith helped bring him into the spotlight and because of that Matt Damon too because Damon and Affleck were in a lot of things together and you don't even notice like Damon had like a cameo in Chasing Amy you know they're always around I don't think he was in Mallrats at all but those guys did a lot of movies together but they don't you know they're not like you know, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis or something. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like they did, they haven't done Goodwill Hunting is probably as close as they've come to just playing off each other in a movie. And it's still not an equal partnership.
0: I thought Goodwill hunting was pretty good, but it, it didn't seem to me to stand out the way a lot of people a lot of people put it up on a pedestal and I didn't I didn't think it was that I do. great.
3: I think there's there's something very special in the writing of that film. Even so, even so much so, I have bought the, I have the screenplay of it. I've read the screenplay. Like if I like a movie a lot, I like to get a hold of the screenplay and read it and see if it holds up. Because I remember I bought the Pulp Fiction screenplay and it looks ridiculous on paper. Like yeah. good lord, I wonder how he sold this because it looks it looks ridiculous seeing these lines written down. Like he's he's lucky he has such a good eye for getting the right people because on paper this this looks farcical but in goodwill hunting it was very solid in the script and you could tell the changes that they made while shooting it that made it a better movie but it's good good solid writing you know believable and you can tell you know what they put into it and it that when you can read a script and get the feel of the movie afterwards, you can tell that you're dealing with good writers, and it sort of makes me want to slap those kids because, you know, oh, you're a writer as a lark—is that nice? Oh, you're an Oscar-winning writer. Okay, great. You know, but you get too too busy to write another script. It's got a lot of stuff going on, but uh, but I do I do enjoy to scribble every now and then. Whatever.
0: From what I understood, didn't they just write that to kind of give themselves sure. roles to play so they could sh- that's prove what their makes acting it chops? Awesome.
3: They wrote something to get themselves an acting career, and it turns out that they won an Oscar for writing. That's good writing, my friends. (laughs) Do
2: you have any runners-up for 1997?
3: Good Will Hunting 2, hunting season. (laughs) (laughs) So, action, Gus, or? Jesus, Ben, I said I'm busy. Busy.
1: Yeah, I do remember the class. But frankly, I found it rather elementary. I remember that class. It was just between recess and lunch. Are we
2: going to have a problem? Again? I was still just hoping you might be able to give
1: me a little insight into the Southern Colonies. See, Wood says- What'd I say? what did I tell you? You'd be back in here regurgitating Gordon Wood. But you forgot about Vickers. No, I just read Vickers, so I'm up on inherited
0: wealth hunting.
1: But you're no longer the angry, brilliant young mind you once were, just itching to vent your frustrations. Oh, you stopped hitting the books with a vengeance, and now I've read shit you haven't even heard about yet.
2: Face facts, my friend. You're just no longer that good,
1: Will Hunting. (laughs) (laughs) Now how do you like them apples?
2: I don't like the sound of them apples. Well, what are we going to do? Jackie? Yeah?
1: It's hunting season.
0: (laughs)
3: Applesauce, bitch. That was funny. I do have a runner-up, though. Uh, The Fifth Element came out that same year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I like The Fifth Element. What a fun, like, Luke Besson (laughs) is so weird as a filmmaker, but... I kind of got mad that The Fifth Element was so inventive and then it wasn't embraced at all.
0: Well, it's kind of a niche movie, I guess. Yeah, right? it's
2: definitely a genre film. And, and also, I mean... There's <laughs> a Mila in there but, looking
3: how yeah, uh,
2: yeah, and the writing, but the writing of it is a little bit... You know? multi Yeah, the writing of it is a little bit, I guess, confusing, I think, for most viewers. I mean, like a lot of people that I know that that are not genre people go I thought that movie was just weird it's
0: got yeah. it's it's weird yeah. to have such big actors Bruce Willis and Chris Tucker these was, I mean they were huge so cool. at that time so. well
3: Chris Tucker wasn't huge that was after Friday but he still like when I saw Fifth Element was that before Rush Hour was. it was before Rush Hour
0: oh okay but it was, was after money.
3: Friday so he was known but not huge <laughs> but it's you funny
0: know, that everybody in that movie is either a musician or a model everyone except for the main actors of course mm-hmm. But it's just filled with models and musicians, like uh, Tricky's in it. I think Goldie's I in say it. Say,
3: Bruce Willis is not a musician. <laughs> you never <know, that's laughs> you respect yourself. Fr- You're
0: talking about Bruno there, man. You better watch. <laughs> it. And you know, Mila made an album too. That's true. She did. So, gosh, I guess I was wrong. Everybody in that movie is a musician or a model, or in case of Mila, both.
3: They could have made that movie the worst musical of all
0: time. Has Bruce Willis <laughs> ever modeled? Maybe everyone's both model and musician in that movie. Well, um, he used to sell know, wine coolers. Except for Chris <laughs> Tucker. I'm pretty sure he hasn't done either yet.
2: <laughs> I do wish they'd make more movies like Fifth Element, though, because I that too, that because wild you know, that, and crazy future, is to me, is, is a the, lot of the, fun to play visuals, around in. The like
3: visuals. They had Mobius doing like the production design on the visuals and all that but here's a thing that is always is at least almost always true i can't think of an exception off the top of my head people don't like like action comedies that are like too heavy on the comedy they like action movies that are serious with the action, but have like comedy in them. Well, like, that, like if one I was going to criticize like Fifth that.
2: Element, that that would be what for? Farcical. Uh, they yeah. had a lot
3: of farce scenes, and this I think this little that, slappy,
2: slapsticky type stuff that would just yeah. Come out I every think once that throws
3: one. off your mainstream viewers because I, I'm thinking of uh, like remember Hudson Hawk, another Bruce Willis movie, oh, which I like. Oh
0: yeah.
3: But it got like slapsticky and just silly, and then people drew away from it. And another movie that I liked a lot in the '80s was, you know, Ford Fairlane with uh, <laughs> with Dice in it. That's an awesome man. movie. That's the Dice My man. hair, my hair, my hair, my hair. <laughs> How can you not watch that movie and laugh? That's an awesome movie. <laughs> That's Dice at his absolute best. He'll never get better for Dice than that movie. But people don't like that for some reason. Like. I don't know. It's a very difficult, fine line. The action has to be real. The comedy has to be dialogue-oriented. You can't yeah. have physical comedy. You can't have silly comedy. You can't have slapstick in an action movie. People pull away. The only well, it, comedy it, that's it, allowed is dialogue comedy, character it comedy.
0: It detracts from the the intensity of the action if it's slapsticky in other parts. Yeah, you want to because, feel that the action is dangerous and that the people yeah. are in danger, but if there's slapstick involved, you never feel that. So
3: Obviously, it doesn't have to be realistic, but yeah, that's exactly right. The tone has to be dramatic. Yeah,
0: there's no point in uh, Fifth Element where you ever think, man, Bruce Willis is in danger from these huge green alien guys. You never think that. And that's, and that's fine, truth. because I don't think they're going for that, but I think the average audience member wants... If they're going to watch well, action, they want the, it to the be... The gonna,
2: average audience member with Fifth Element is already so... Confused and befuddled by the by the production design and the and just the setting of the movie, They're I like, didn't you think know, it what? was
3: that confusing.
2: Well, because yours was friend, alien to I mean, the I'm... average
3: moviegoer. This is something that I think Lucas is really good at, especially in the first Star Wars movies, where you know he created all these weird elements in Star Wars. They don't seem weird now because movies are way weirder now. But back at that time, you know, everything was sort of alien in Star Wars to people. You know it was a completely different universe. It was like all these rules and and creatures and species and races and politics existed as backstory that you didn't even get set up. There wasn't like like we do now where some kid falls asleep and wakes up in a magical wonderland and then someone has to constantly explain it to him. You know it just happened to be the world, so that's why he had John Williams doing the music because he was really smart sound design I've said it before, but sound design. Is the unsung brilliance of Star Wars, and right down to the music, he understood that everything else here is alien. So we bring in a composer who does a classical soundtrack, so that that will ground people. It sets a tone that people understand on the level that they don't even know they're it getting. It also um it also makes it timeless. Whereas if you
0: yeah. had 70s style music in it, it'd sound dated pretty quick. Absolutely. Whereas class was always Another work. brilliant
3: element to it. But the fifth element, you know, is sort of. sort of. I think people watch the fifth element and go, that looks like a 90s
0: movie. Well, it, it definitely is. I mean, intentionally so. It's, it's all about fashion and music and stuff. It really is. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a reason he's filled it with those kind of people.
2: I've heard. Um, I've heard this movie described as a um, as a heavy metal comic on film. Uh, oh well, well there's it, no it's doubt very that that influence
3: is there because there's this. Not Bruce Willis's character is stolen from the heavy metal movie. Yeah, like, that cab that driver. Cab, scene. The cab driver who's like like an action hero. Mm. There's even a scene where, and I, let's I call it homage because yeah, yeah. you you politely when someone rips it off off a scene, you just call it homage to be polite. But there's a scene in Fifth Element where a guy tries to rob him and he steals the gun from him and then he throws it like in a big box of guns because that's what he does all the time. And that scene happens in the heavy metal movie almost exactly where a guy tries to rob him in his cab and he kills the guy and he just throws the gun down in like a big bin full of guns. Like the influence of the heavy metal film on that movie is obvious or it is like a, an amazingly cosmic coincidence. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Because I remember, yeah, I don't believe, there's no such thing as coincidence in American film.
0: <laughs>
3: there are only ideas stolen and recycled. And all stealing is allowed so long as you're presenting it to an audience who hasn't seen the original. That's the Jean-Luc Godard, like, it's not where you take it from, it's where you take it to. And actually, thats I didn't hear that from Godard. I heard it quoted by Jarmouche. Well, oh, there you go. I like, uh, yeah, I really liked Fifth Element, though.
0: It, it's a movie that grows on you after I can time. I like The first time I saw it, I was like, eh. And then the second time I saw it on TV or something, like, this movie's pretty fun.
3: It's all out there, man. It's an explosion you know. of, of fun sci-fi. It's not one of those sci-fi things that's just a little. It does it all you know it has a whole universe all these weird aliens and ideas and characters and it sort of feels like a cartoon i can watch the fifth element just about any time it's entertaining to me it did, it didn't get old to me and that to me is a sign of a good movie it's not a sign of a great movie because a great movie is timeless but it's a sign of a good movie when it, when it's on and even though you've seen it a 100 times you'll actually leave it when you're flipping by cuz you're like i can watch this again
2: Can I talk about another 1997 movie? L.A. Confidential. Uh, Oh, yeah, great movie. uh, We were just talking about the
3: usual suspects in the last episode. This is the same concept. If you mirror older films, you make a great new film. (laughs) That should tell people something right there. You know what I just saw last Thursday? was was Leatherheads, that, that George Clooney movie. Oh yeah, right. And that's all he does. Is you know, it's it's a real charming movie because it's obviously sort of a love letter to good old-fashioned filmmaking. And I and I never really put my finger on it before that movie, but I can really see where George Clooney is sort of, you know, he's sort of the the Cary Grant of our time. And if you watch that movie, I think you really see it. You know, that sort of charming, interesting, if you would think of Harrison Ford as sort of the Bogart, George Clooney would be the Cary Grant.
0: Yeah, I'll buy that.
3: And, and, and it's fun just for that. You could tell if you've seen Good Night, Good Luck. Also, there's another movie where he has a very classical sensibility. But this one, he was trying to do like almost scene for scene, like a an ode to the good old fashioned comedies of yesteryear. i was say
0: it looked like, Oh, brother, where art thou? There's
3: a lot of familiar faces from that movie in this one.
0: Yeah, Clooney directs and- it. Having, I guess, him just in a comedy, that goofy kind of comedy set in that time period, it's going to look like that.
3: He has such an expressive face. He's just fun to watch.
0: L.A. Confidential's um, first movie I remember seeing Russell Crowe in.
3: It was yeah. the Australian invasion, that movie. <laughs> That's where they started coming over and dropping the accents like pod people. Yeah. That's where Guy Pierce came from as well.
2: L.A. Confidential was fun for me because it it,
3: it did remind me of...
2: We kind of came up during that time when the old TV shows were getting a new life on the channels like Nick at Night. And L.A. Confidential is very reminiscent of like an early 60s crime drama you'd see on TV, except a lot more gritty. Mm -hmm. A lot of good people.
3: Oh, yeah. I love Guy Pierce. I love Kevin Spacey. Yeah, Kevin Spacey's great. Uh, James Cromwell, also in
2: Mm -hmm. that
3: movie. Just a lot of great people in it. Danny DeVito.
2: What ever happened to Guy Pierce? You don't ever see him around anymore.
3: Guy Pierce has got a Has had a kind of depressing career because after that he did Memento, which is an awesome movie,
1: right? Like,
3: and then you know he did that Ravenous movie where Robert Carlyle's trying to eat him. That movie's weird. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> he was licking me. I forgot about that.
3: <laughs> well, that's like one of the great lines of movies that like that no one's ever seen it, but it's a great line because you just remember it from the commercial. Just, yeah, licking me. Like, what? That's weird.
0: I'll go ahead and say that's the best
3: line from the 90s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if, if we had to pick a slogan right now,
0: you was licking me.
3: Then he was in that Time Machine movie, which was terrible. Oh, it was awful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Lord, it was awful. Now, granted, making a movie with Time machines hard because it's – the book's practically just an essay of what could happen in the future. It's very – the narrative doesn't lend itself to to be to a movie. But that one made no sense where oh, – of course, Jeremy Irons comes in at the end because it's like, man, we can't make crap without digging up Jeremy Irons as <laughs> the bad guy. Poor Jeez, guy. That poor son of a bitch, man. Get in a romantic comedy stat because every time you play a villain, it just means it's horrible.
2: Uh, he replaced Walter Cronkite as the voice of on Spaceship Earth, the ride at Epcot. Oh
3: really? Yeah. Well, you'd uh, think I'd know that. I was pretty sure I'd been on it since they changed it. Well, it, I think they shouldn't have.
2: No, they I shouldn't have. They've changed it again though. Now Judy Danch is the voice. It's uh, oh
3: Lord. Yeah. You know um, what the problem is? Is this is what I hate about sci-fi in general, and you know Spaceship Earth is sci-fi. You know, if you haven't been to Epcot Center. Epcot Center was an interesting idea because it was supposed to show people what the city of the future would be like. But then the future happened, and they didn't want to look stupid, so they changed it. And I think that's completely pointless because the idea... I was just talking to my cousin about this in in reference to sci-fi in general. The problem is that sci-fi is supposed to show you not what the future will be like. It's supposed to show you what the future should be like. And that's what they're all like, you know, we were talking about how almost all the apocalypses of movies have already happened chronologically. <laughs> like they were already <laughs> set in years that have come and gone in our lives. And I find that encouraging. Don't go back and change the dates. I like that we outlived the apocalypse on more than one occasion. That gives me hope.
2: I can understand their need to update. Um, but but you're right that they they've lost the vision as far as what um, – you know, Epcot was supposed to be about.
3: Yeah, I say leave all that stuff in place. I say have like where, where they're saying in nineteen eighty-seven we'll invent the cure for all disease. You know, leave <laughs> that there because you need to show America that we need to get cracking. Yeah. that's the whole problem with everything. It's like we're rewriting the history of the future so that we we'll relieve ourselves of the responsibilities. This is the future, and we're not living up to it, and we need to get on it. Because we should be able to cure cancer by now instead of focusing on curing baldness. We should have gas that's not friggin' $5 a gallon because we shouldn't even be buying gas at all. We should be on jetpacks that are fueled by hydrogen. (laughs) Like, What are you doing? I think we need an Epcot Center now more than ever when people are like, yes, we'll all have our own personal helicopters that'll fuel by love. (laughs) Because then people are like, man, why am I paying six? Like sometimes... Sci-fi should just be there to remind you that the future isn't going the way it oughta. Yeah. Instead of them going back and rewriting the sci-fi sh- stories, like, oh yeah, there really was a World War III that was nuclear, like like they do in Star Trek. You know, in the first Star Trek, it, it was all about how we avoided the nuclear Armageddon, and then, then when they wanted to be gritty, in Next Generation, they acted like there was one. Like, no, leave it. I want to set an ideal for ourselves where the nuclear apocalypse doesn't happen. Let's make that a goal. Why did we already concede the nuclear war? What happened? Like, we didn't even get a vote and somebody came around and just said, yeah, I guess in the future of sci-fi we should accept that there'll be a nuclear war and everything will be destroyed. I don't accept that. It's inevitable. I don't think that's what sci-fi should be telling us. Where, where are all these surrenders and concessions coming from? We should be holding ourselves by the highest possible standard instead of just completely rewriting the standards to meet, you know, the crappy level of mediocrity that we've reached in the modern world.
0: Sean's feeling ranty tonight. That's an impressive rant. <laughs> take a breath, man. You're gonna pass out. Don't lock your knees. Hey.
3: 1998.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, let's go to 1998.
3: Does anybody see Dark City?
0: Yeah, yeah, Dark City's a cool movie. Yeah, but I barely you were begging remember on it.
3: Alex Proyas when we mentioned The Crow earlier. This is that was this is also an Alex Proyas movie.
0: Well, you could see the visual similarities, I guess, but this one actually has the gothic uh, a little more of a story.
3: Dark City actually came out a year before The Matrix, and before The Matrix was huge, I I'd, I'd seen them both, and I liked Dark City a lot better. I think they're similar in that it's about people who sort of get embroiled in this weird sort of fantasy world and they're inexplicably this this anomaly that's arisen to to stop it cuz it's basically the same story except Dark City has like this sort of neat gothic backdrop. The Matrix is definitely a movie of the 90s.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's more mainstream too. Which is probably why it did better.
3: But I think if you watch them both now, Dark City would still be somewhat, you know, ambiguous in the time setting because they're trying to be sort of film noir. Yeah. The way they created that backdrop and The Matrix, you already looks like a '90s movie.
0: But I think the story in The Matrix is is pretty innovative and interesting too. The first one. The
3: first one. Yeah, yeah, Thank yeah. You. Of course, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that caveat comes out instantly. The first. Well, one. let's let's just throw
0: together just a show up. one day uh, where we do uh, movies that only the first ones count. Maybe we can do that next week. But uh, yeah, Dark City is a cool movie. I think it was, it, I, I don't remember it super well, but I do remember liking it better than The Crow.
3: I like Rufus Sewell too. Like That's the only movie where Rufus Sewell gets to be a good guy. <laughs> Richard O'Brien in that movie too. Another thing I really liked about it, the guy hadn't been around since Rocky Horror Picture Show. And he popped up in that movie. I had a runner-up in 1998 as well.
0: Alrighty, hit
3: it. What dreams
0: may come. You seen this movie? Uh, yeah. You know, I never did see that one. It's one of those oh, I meant to see, watch. but it always looked really depressing. That's another Terry Gilliam movie, isn't it? Right?
3: No, but I could see that does look like it. I don't actually know who directed What Dreams May Come, but it does have that sort of that sort of fantastic element to it. And I and I think it's sort of overlooked for that because the visuals of that movie are beautiful and it's so well told. Probably too, for a movie to conquer the concept of of heaven and hell, and try to to tackle that in a way without you know jumping into religion. You never see that, and it, it's beautifully done. And it's also you know it's a beautiful story about you know people and love and and love conquering all and that kind of crap. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I lampoon Robin Williams because I don't think he's funny like people think he's funny, like they think he's funny, <laughs> I don't think that. But I do think that he is a tremendous dramatic actor. And sometimes I want to slap him because I think it's just like the Affleck thing. It's like if, you, if you're if gold as a writer, but only kind of mm-hmm, as an actor, then write, son of a bitch. What are you wasting all our time for? I I care about your problems. You're an Oscar-winning writer, but then you want to be an Oscar-winning actor? Screw you. I actually just want to rule the moon. How about that? You want it all? Calm down.
2: Calm down. 1999. One year to go. One year to go. (laughs) Y2K, baby.
3: Keep it together a little longer, Sean. Jeez. All right. 1999. I say Blair Witch Project.
2: Uh, Well, okay. Okay. I'll give you that. Mainly for um, uh, the marketing and just the hype that they managed to generate before the movie even came out. That, uh, to be,
3: yeah, to be such a small movie and get that kind of response. But also, Blair Witch is a really good example of how a movie got screwed because it didn't hold up on video. I remember watching the Blair Witch Project in the theater and thinking, oh, that was scary. You know? And especially since I didn't know anything about it, I went to see it when it was out, you know it when it wasn't out at all. It was like a limited release. The the original release of of the of Blair Witch Project was twenty seven theaters nationwide. You know, and one of them was the Terra in Atlanta and I saw it. So no one had seen it yet and it had a good impact on me but by the time everyone's saying Blair Witch is so scary then anyone who saw it didn't think so because there was so much build-up they're like man well, it just seemed like people were banging rocks together You don't know there's <laughs> some noises outside the town that is so scary you know they were jaded it's so hard to be scary in a jaded world it's like it's like trying to describe a nightmare to people and have it be scary and, and then having a movie that's been out for a long time where everyone's saying it's scary it sort of has that impact on people they brace themselves for how scary it is and of course they're not scared when you walk into something and you're prepared for it to be scary then it's not scary but definitely was a cool movie and had a lot of innovations not just in you know the fact that they were shooting on digital and not just in the promotion but it's just well told <clears throat> I'm sort of annoyed how movies don't the horror movies don't focus on what makes something scary, which is the things you don't see, you know, the things that it can play on your imagination play on your own interferes. That's when something's scary,
2: the The thing that actually kind of makes me angry about the Blair witch project. And it has nothing to do with the produ- actual production itself is that I think it was the catalyst for the spinoff of all these crazy, um, Paranormal shows that you see on TV now, where people just go in haunted go what they think is haunted houses and just try <laughs> yeah. to scare the crap out of each other.
3: I know, and they're all stupid. Yeah, they're all in the sci-fi now.
2: Yeah, the only, uh, the only one I think by even Zelda has Rubenstein. a shred of credibility is Ghost Hunters. But the the rest Ghost of them Hunters is funny
3: because it's not about that. Yeah, Ghost Hunters is about plumbers going around trying to figure out whether ghosts exist. <laughs> it's like a, they get a spin that works. <laughs> it's like I'm not scared of that. <laughs> you know? That's probably just rusty pipes. Like it's a great show <laughs> but then they have like these shows where like teenagers are walking it's supposed to be haunted I'm so scared I <laughs> ain't like why what's going on nothing even happened
2: but I do appreciate like I said for the marketing because actually I mean I think that the marketing is much more brilliant than the movie itself because when I saw the movie itself I was like this is it's obvious that this is you know you know a, a, a vid- one video camera bunch of people banging rocks and you know to me there was never any kind of payoff you know they go into the house at the end i'm gonna give away the end you haven't seen it but you know and the only thing that was cool about it was it is that it tied into the legend you know um that they had developed at the end uh, I, I was really wanting to see the monster at that point because I was I was like you know I
0: think it had ruined it if you'd seen the monster I totally believe that I don't think there's so there's nothing they could have shown that
3: would have made it believable at all I think
2: I think it would have been I think it would have been cool that in that very last scene where you know you you the the girl goes down into the room and sees the guy in the corner and if she when she whipped her camera around if she saw something and the camera just uh, what you see is the camera just kind of going off to the side and going black. Uh, but, uh i
3: don't know I, I don't think i could agree any any well any, i know I well i, I know
2: probably i mean point. i'm talking to a couple of guys that you know have seen star wars get destroyed by the need to see the monster i understand that completely but you know normally i wouldn't feel that way about it but i think that there needed to be some kind of little payoff there at the end that would have that would have hooked me into liking the movie uh like like because the movie itself, I didn't... I mean, I it was okay, but I didn't really find it that entertaining. I was much more impressed with the Sci-Fi Channel uh, uh, mockumentary they did. To, to well, that the was movie.
3: very well done. Yeah, and, and, and the, the stuff and, they shot on that, where the and the stuff that was supposed to look period in it, like these little things, where it was like supposed to be snippets of like these clips from the seventies of like this guru talking about stuff, and like you know, it looked like it was it, taken from something. I think what made that movie work, and obviously those guys made that special too, and what made it work was they really had an idea for giving something a documentary style. Mm-hmm. And that sort of lent it some credibility as to being scary. And that's why I think showing the monster would have been the worst possible thing. Because from start to finish, the movie looked like it was actually shot by people who were running around in the woods. And you don't know what it was they saw, but you know they saw something because they're clearly scared to death. And you never get to see that thing. So you never know, you know, were they, did they just become paranoid or or what happened? But it never breaks credibility for that because you it really did feel from start to finish like some tapes they could have just found and then you'd never know they they never showed enough for you to get for you to feel detached from it like it became supernatural and then okay this feels fictional it always felt like something that could be real like because they they didn't delve too deeply into it. I think
2: it would have had to have been done delicately and it could not have been something that um I mean, you you didn't need to see the monster all the way through the movie. You you just needed to see something. Well, when, when I say the monster, I'm talking about the witch. Really, to me, like if 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 for some like if you had just bought into everything, you know, say this was something that actually happened, you would still be a skeptic after watching the movie because um, because you didn't get that, you didn't see it.
3: Well, that's what I like about it. It led. The, the idea that they were trying to create an urban legend so there was no definitive proof at the very end, still something that was that was sort of ambiguous. That people could watch it and say, see that proves it was real and other people could watch it and say, No, that doesn't like big like a Bigfoot film, you know? And I and I thought they did something brilliant in that where they create something that was just, you know, scary enough to give you the idea that it could be real but it never gave you that assurance that yes it was it still gave you that element of doubt that it could have been a video of just people going nuts and that to me made it more scary because then when you don't show the monster especially you know you the audience creates the monster and I think they really tapped into that. Like the the monster exists in the imaginations of the people watching it, and that's always going to be scarier. It's like we were saying with Cloverfield. Don't explain where the monster comes from. You'll just screw it up. Just just say there's a monster, and then let people fill in their own minds what they think would have happened.
2: Yeah, I don't think that's the case. I mean, like I said, in my mind. Blair Witch is probably the exception that proves the rule. In that case, I agree with you totally. Ninety nine percent of the time, don't get too deep into the monster and 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 all that. But I think because the production value of that movie was so low, that had they seen something at the end, because you're right. I mean, to me, uh, it does. It just looks like a bunch of kids running around, you know, scaring each other.
3: And did the, you see it in the theater? Or did you see it on?
2: I don't recall seeing it in the theater. I did see it. I saw it on DVD, which probably does. Have I think that different.
3: also makes the difference too, because yeah. when you're in the theater and everything's dark and you're seeing it through this video camera lens and you're just hearing these weird sounds in this sort of stereo of the theater, you really are put there. That's what I was saying about that movie doesn't hold up on video, because the people who saw it on the video didn't get it. Like. I think that movie has to be seen on the big screen to for it to have that kind of impact.
2: Well just to be sociable, I'll take your word. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you're clearly wrong and I'm clearly right, but <laughs> let's move on.
2: <laughs> let's just uh, agree that I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> just just yeah. agree that you're full of crap and let's move on.
3: <laughs> let's agree to disagree with Greg. <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs> my my runner-up for that
3: year, which I think, Bastards. was sort of the mainstream counterpart to the Blair Witch, is uh, the Sixth Sense. Mm.
0: Yeah, good movie.
3: The Sixth Sense is just a very straightforward, cool horror movie that did that did give you that that kind of payoff, but d- just told very you know very smartly, very very cool, so that it held up, even though it had a twist at the end. The movie doesn't. And this is where Shyamalan went all wrong. The movie doesn't count on the twist to maintain the story. The twist is just a little something, something at the end to give you something to go home with.
2: Yep. He, the
3: rest of the movie holds up just fine if there was never a twist.
2: And that's why he sucked every sentence because he thought he found the formula. And Yeah,
3: he thought the twists were what made it interesting. He had a little twist at the end of Unbreakable. Also a good movie. Also a good twist. Still fine. You know, at signs, he didn't even have a twist. The movie turned out just fine. Somewhere in the village, man, he lost his mind. Thought he needed to have a twist. Came out with some stupid Scooby-Doo rubber suits, whatever. I don't know what's (laughs) going on in this movie. 17th century, but it's not really. We're all just like out on some kind of wildlife reserve reserve or something where we managed to procure rubber monster suits to keep the kids from traveling off to the roads. Whatever. What?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, The Sixth Sense, I'll give it credit. We, let's not bring it down with his subsequent movies. Let's yeah. say that The Sixth Sense was a great movie.
3: Sixth Sense is a great movie. Yeah, definitely. You can still watch it, and it's still cool. still scary in places. Like, I think there's a lot of good turnaround in that. A lot of really good creepy stuff happens in The Sixth Sense that makes it work. It's
0: another great movie where they don't show monsters, and it it's more effective because of it. Like when he gets locked <laughs> in the... Uh, the attic room with that whatever it is
2: I've been telling you I agree with you most of the time just you know I don't I'm not down with it with Blair Witch I needed to see a monster at the end of Blair Witch is that
0: so wrong with that well they they made a Blair Witch 2 which was horrible you didn't
2: see the monster in that one either
3: I really (laughs) believe that Greg could be right if you're gonna make a mainstream Blair Witch 2 you should have shown the monster in that one because who cares at that point yeah well we'll you ruined it with a mainstream sequel anyway you might as well break out the makeup
2: well, I mean, the sequel was a mistake anyway, but...
3: Yeah, the sequel was a mistake in every way. It's, the sequel was practically a textbook mistake. If you're going to show Artisan... That, Blair Witch 2 is probably what killed Artisan. Artisan doesn't exist anymore because of Blair Witch 2. I really? said it, someone had to. Yikes. <laughs> well, it didn't happen quite that way, but Artisan doesn't exist anymore. And that's because they had one big hit, and they didn't know what to do with it, and they did what a lot of stupid people try to do. They tried to turn into a franchise right away. It wasn't that kind of hit. They should have sat down a little bit longer. They killed the careers of all those kids, all of them dead and gone. Perfect <laughs> example of a flash in the pan that didn't know how to follow up. got any others? How many do I need to have? I'm tired of doing all the work around here,
0: you know, like Greg said that uh six cents kind of spawned or no that blair witch kind of spawned some annoying trends. There were a couple of things that happened in the 90s that I just want to mention briefly that spawned things that I that it have bugged me. Like uh Seven for example, which was a decent movie I guess. But have you, right after that this just all the gritty gritty movies started coming after that where it's like, well, we have to be graphic. That's really where Saul came from really. Seven it's like we started have to be graphic, You're we right. have to be gritty. And uh, I thought that was an unfortunate trend. Scream, which was a fun movie, I guess. But it, it, it to me, angers me more than almost any horror movie ever. Because after that, there was a solid 10 years of PG-13 horror movies. I mean, it we took talking, like 10 years. I was years. talking about
3: this yesterday with someone. That, you know, of the 80s had all of these, you know, really cool horror creations. These, these standout horror characters, like the Freddy, the Jason... You know Michael Myers,
0: these All standout slashers, yeah. horror, yeah, slasher,
3: like <laughs> icons. Chucky being one of them. Leprechaun.
0: <laughs> Let's not forget the Leprechaun. The nineties
3: <laughs> has none of those. The uh, nineties gave us nothing lasting. When nothing it comes to that, because of Scream.
0: Yeah, because, because uh, the, the, the the teeny, dawn bopper, of the teeny bopper, bopper
3: horror movie, there's there, nothing lasting like that. Those will be movies that people will watch Scream one day and go, nineties. Yeah. You know, like you do certain movies, they'll watch those and go, Oh, this is totally nineties. Because they all star the same people too. It's all the same W B kids. All the same Dawson's Creek kids in every damn movie.
0: I can't think of uh that many nineties movies that I really like that you didn't mention. The only one that, that pops into my head right off the top would be um Fight Club. I think that's a oh, great movie and
3: movie. Fight Club is a good 90s movie that's representative of the 90s, but it started the cool 90s. Yeah. Because I think we could have mentioned Fight Club in our generations movies because I think Fight Club tapped into something primal for that generation that all, it, they didn't advertise right. but Because everyone who watches is like, you have to see Fight Club. And everyone who watched Fight Club is like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I feel. You, know, you don't know why. I actually but, think yeah, Fight the, the, the Club is like kind
2: it. of a delayed effect because you didn't hear about it at first or maybe it's just now getting to where it's being talked about but but you know since that movie came out and then the subsequent well i guess what nine or ten years that it's been um real fight clubs are popping up yeah well
0: i think that's ridiculous that's not the
2: but but i think it i mean i think it did you know spawn that you know subculture of, of i don't think
0: that that's what the, doing that sort of the essence of the the meaning of the movie is supposed to be about though. Well, i, I know, think that's but I'm just yeah uh, i that, think you know, i don't
3: want to be mean to the kids who came after us but i do think that's another example of how like kids 10 years old younger than us are retards <laughs> because it's like fight club is clearly a metaphor for how disenfranchised people feel in the modern world you know this and that's what we talk about it i it's what I call the zombie generals, this generation of people who grew up ready for the end of the world and not good at anything else. So when their world just stubbornly refuses to end, we find ourselves with no useful skills and that's what fight club's all about. they want to tear the world up because they they grew up thinking they're going to be rock stars or you know movie stars or something, and that didn't happen, and they don't know what else to be. So they just beat the hell from each other until they come up with better ideas, (laughs) because they don't feel.
0: When in doubt, go primal.
3: That's the metaphor of Fight Club.
0: I think that it's it's, um, unfortunate that in your 90s list, you didn't mention Cool as Ice, which is easily my favorite movie from the 90s. I,
3: I could. Don't. Don't challenge me. I love Cool as Ice. The scene
0: where he's like racing the horse on his motorcycle.
3: And if you want to talk about a movie that is totally 90s, just look at the clothes where Ice (laughs) comes in with his like sort of kid and play weird hair with the lightning bolts streaks like (laughs) (laughs) done in with the clippers. And he's wearing like like he's riding a crotch rocket and he's got the outfit that matches it in color and they're like yellow or whatever and for no reason he knows kung fu but he pretends that he has like this street wisdom where you should trust your daughter man she's a person too and all this stupid crap it's awesome is that
0: movie on dvd i wonder oh
3: i don't know if it is we should find it if it is
0: i might have to netflix that. i'm
3: happy to say i did finally order a copy of star crash from from Amazon I will be getting that soon
0: well alright is that it is that 90s we wrapped up I believe we have done it
3: once again we nailed it
0: well world tell us
2: we're full of crap send us an email
3: I'm sure and and I think of stuff all the time I know I left out a lot of movies but you know we could go on forever I mean we spent 20 minutes on Nathan Fillion alone man you know we gotta make decisions (laughs) sacrifices have to be made
2: so stand up for Philly in America, world. I say get that anyway. And, you know, I don't sing care. the praises I of Nathan anyway. Philly and get him off desperate housewives and get him into a real role.
3: Yeah, this is just about like altering the collective unconscious. Maybe we just say it out loud enough times. You know, something will happen. It'll re it'll hit the wind and reach the ear of some some you know Hollywood fat cat. <laughs>
0: well, you know if if Nathan's not their cup of tea maybe they should give me a shot yeah Brooks Robinson I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty charismatic I think
3: <laughs> I like Nathan Fillion I'll stick with him yeah
0: I'll be too. <laughs> I like him too I'll, I'd pick him over me I don't
3: switch horses midstream thank you
0: alright <laughs> I'll All right. stand
3: by my man alright
0: tv8mydinner.com is our website check it out uh, who would that's play where Lando
3: you- in the Han Solo TV show with Nathan Fillion Hmm. That's a good thing. They play Lando? There's got to be somebody too.
0: that's kind of smooth, and I, I can't think of any smooth actors.
3: Also, got to be someone willing to do TV. Those are the two things to think about. Don't say Don Cheadle; he's a successful film actor. He's busy.
0: Yeah, and he's not really smooth. You know, you got to have somebody that's smooth. got
3: that. Yeah, but Don Cheadle was almost Shaft. You know, I'll put some thought into it, America. Yeah. We need your help on this one because you know Lucas is just going to sit on Jedi's forever. I know, so man. I'm so her
2: damn sick of jedis man come on who man it's like he, it like he just don't see what's cool about his own universe it's
1: drives me crazy
0: He just don't see it
3: that's the southern coming out i know <laughs> he thinks han solo was the accident of the star wars universe that's why that's why i think star wars is a miracle because the things that really worked were kind of like contrary to lucas's plan
0: tv8mydinner.com is the website uh, check that out darkcrazy.com is another website you should check out Bellswake.com.
3: youtube.com/darkcrazytv It's also where you can say, see our videos
0: and next week we're going to talk about greatstocks.com
3: we'll talk about, com. <laughs> we'll talk about com.
0: is it the movies that have bad sequels Is that what we're talking about
3: that's a
2: good one hear that a
3: boy jeans disaster films will talk about let's boys. do the
0: let's do the movies that had bad sequels Sweet. <laughs> Alright Until then I'm Brooks I'm Sean I'm Greg And uh
2: Alright
1: Blair Witch Suck
3: I have no idea How this episode is gonna happen